questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight, we deviate from the norm in order to bring you important new material that you won't find anywhere else unless you speak Spanish. A few weeks ago, Henry, a longtime listener from Australia, brought tonight's guest to my attention. I saw a few videos and became convinced I needed to bring him to the Veritas platform. However, even though he speaks multiple languages, English is not one of them. Some of his videos have hundreds of thousands of views, but as far as I know, no one has brought his information out to the English-speaking community around the world. So I made contact with him, and he responded immediately. That's where the non-traditional part comes in. How do I make this happen? Well, the only possible and feasible way I saw to get this done was to conduct a full interview in Spanish and then translate it or narrate it into English. I know it won't be as comfortable as usual, and perhaps it may be confusing at times since I will be narrating both parties, but at least we'll get this information out to you. This will be a beta test, a very test first in 10 years, and I hope you will find this information as important as I did. And as I always say, use your discernment. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button. Join me on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. The story you're about to hear continues to evolve all the time. So I believe this will be the first of perhaps many interviews. I'm sure you'll let me know. I will go in chronological order. And to the Spanish-speaking community who will be listening to the Spanish version, I mentioned that my interviewing skills in Spanish may be a bit rusty since I've never conducted one in Spanish. I usually read a bio, but today I'll let the guest share his story. I just got back from Europe And he just got back from Africa. Without further ado, directly from Barcelona, Catalonia, Spain, my family's ancestral land, it is my pleasure to introduce for the first time on Veritas, Carlos Torra. Hello, Carlos, and welcome to Veritas. Well, good evening, dear Mel, and it's a great pleasure. And I assure you it's a great pleasure that after 30 years, I am the first person you've interviewed in, in Spanish. And it's it's really an honor. And for me too. Like I said, I saw some of your videos, and I want you to tell the audience, instead of me reading the bio, tell us who is Carlos Torra, your trajectory, You're an airplane pilot, helicopter pilot, sailboat captain. Explain to me from the beginning. Let's go step by step. Well, it's very easy. My life has always been very normal, very traditional, like many people. Always working in, in businesses in, in Catalonia, Spain, Barcelona, and having my profession, which is gemologist by profession. I work uh, stones, gems, minerals. That has been my profession during uh, over 30 years, independently other 
from other jobs. I've had a, a, a you know, quote-unquote, a normal life, you know, a family, work, businesses, jobs, moving around, uh, perhaps a little bit more than usual because of the, the uh, jobs of my business, but ups and downs, uh, even though... Since I was born, my first memories were always out of normal, not normal. My first big memory is uh, the first thing that I remember. And when I was very little, two, three years old, I was probably in the crib and waking up in the evening and seeing lights throughout my, my bedroom. But of course, a child, two, three years old, if you see lights and seeing people, I've had that memory. Uh, as I was growing up, as, you know, getting older, I was. I kept seeing those lights. I kept not listening to voices, but it, it was deep inside. Uh, things that people did not feel. I saw little, uh, little fairies, you know, little beings. Something a little bit, you know, normal for a child. Uh, any parent would think that uh, it's a. It's a uh, a form like your little invisible friend. In my case, I'm an only child. Uh, in my household, I was the only child. My mother was an only child. My grandfather was an only child. So it was a very small family. And always my parents thought that, you know, the child is looking for invisible friends and he feels those things. Perhaps that's why my parents felt uh, it was a little light until I get to be about five years old, and I kept seeing more and more things. And that's when my parents sent me not only to the psychologist, they sent me to the... And I imagine a five-year-old going to the psychiatrist because that wouldn't stop. I just kept seeing more and more things. You know, it's not only what I saw, but what I felt. I know because my mother always told me I was five years in the psychiatrist for five to ten and uh, in those years, I remember one time coming back from the psychiatrist, I said, this can't be. At the end, uh, they're going to send me to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the mental ward. And that kept increasing. And, you know, a child uh, 10 years old, you know, I thought, Let's, I have to take matters into my own hand. If I keep see, saying all these things that are really happening to me, this is going to complicate. And one day I came home after the psychiatrist and I said, Mom, Dad, the psychiatrist cured me. I don't feel, I don't, I don't hear anything, but it, and the truth was that I kept seeing all those things. So when I closed myself, it was really the time when I felt like I closed myself. I stopped. I didn't have to go back to the, the doctors. I told my parents, so I started my life normally. So, since the age of 10, I closed myself to to the, quote-unquote, what I think is uh, gifts. I have a normal teenage years, went to university, went to start a business with a family, uh, work, got a family, got married, have children, just like any other person, uh, but it's called normal, until something exceptional occurred in that 2016, March 2016, independently from my job, so that I don't have to extend all of this because it would be, have to, and I would have to spend a lot of time to comment on all of this. But uh, there was a time independently from my job and my business or from what I know how to do, 
I used to work for large multinational companies uh, referring to the elite, the, 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 those who are behind the scenes, who are, who are behind the scenes managing the world. Uh, because of my last name, Torah or Torah, my last name comes from one of the 12 families that began all the Jewish story. My, I come from the Leviticus. And I have uh, something very specific. It's the some of the first families come directly from Moses. Leviticus come from Levi or Levi, uh, from Aaron, from Moses, directly from the beginnings of beginnings. My family in that time, uh, the Moses time, it was the one in charge of of the one watching uh, the law, the Torah. That's why my family obtained that last name Torah. So I'm one of the last descendants of one of those the families were a very short and small family. But thanks to my last name, my, I've had a relationship with people who are very interesting, who are what you may call in charge. This is when I, since I was 18, the age of 18, that's when I became exposed and in contact with them. I got a, a teachings, military teachings, or education. I started piloting anything, anything that fl that, that flies. Even though I might not have license to, to uh, militarily, I have piloted all types of craft all my life until the age of 50, which was two years ago, and I'm 52 now. Well, I've been... Uh, every so often, working with uh, those little things, extra official, with people of the elite, and this has allowed me to. So, so you're talking about the elite here? Yes, I'm talking about the elite. This has allowed has allowed me to 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 be exposed to them, to to find out who they are. I am operating anonymously because they. They want all these families to be to, to, to remain anonymous, but I decided to to, to work with them. Uh, my father last night just refused to work with them. They went to Spain. That's when they arrived to Spain. They started hiding so that the elite wouldn't find them. They found me at the age of eighteen. Well, imagine at eighteen years old when they they offer you everything. So I just fell on my feet. And and uh, what do you want to do? And, and because of that experience, I I learned a lot from them. Uh, it was a, an age, and I have to choose a side, uh, the, the side of good or the side of bad. Uh, there was a time that I had to decide. Uh, clearly, I have to tell you, Mel, I had to choose and decided to work for the light. Many people who know me now that I'm giving conferences all over the world uh, still think that because because I am who I am and because I come from where I where I come from that I still uh, work with the elite and I'm disinforming or or giving disinformation to the people. Uh, you know, once you're a public, you know, it, it becomes part of the circle. As I say, when I talk about this elite, it's not only Jewish. Uh, Jewish people are only. A portion. They think that all of them are Jewish. Uh, you know, I have great Jewish friends, super loving people who work for the light. This is a, a, a great. It's it's not a. Uh, I don't want to discredit the, the Jewish people. Uh, there's a part that forms part of this families Zionist Zionist families that are still within this power. So everybody thinks that it's all the package, but it's not. And you know, you, you have to understand, not all Jewish people are the same. 
a lot of people say, oh, you come from, you're Jewish, and you know, because my, my, I'm descended from Jewish, I don't apply any religion. I don't apply to religion or religions. If anybody asks me if I feel Jewish, I say no, because I don't apply the Jewish religion. I don't apply the Catholic or any other. I apply the form to live of light, uh, internal light. This is what we're going to be talking about and what we're going to do. And until, unless you were, even if you were, we just can't generalize. Correct. It's, it's, it's. I'm not demanding people to, 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 to say anything. Uh, uh, yeah, yes, I'm Jewish, but I don't act in any form that you can attribute to to religious. But many people, uh, especially in Latin America, where I, I, I. I move around Latin America mostly, not in Spain that much, but many people who just doubt, well, because of your last name, Torah. Uh, this is when I say, folks, I speak from my from my internal, from what I feel inside, from what comes from the source, from what comes from the origins. If you want to listen, great. If if it doesn't resonate, well, that's okay too. It's, it's your journey, it's your destiny, it's your path. This... Uh, this uh, topic of people who being in, in, in favor or against. I have many friends uh, in Spain who are very public who talk about other subjects, uh, you know, more, more about the exterior worlds, like, you know, ufology, UFOs, that they have more problems because m more people against them. I don't talk about that subject that much, but I'm escaping myself from all that. But my last name is what, you know, people fixate on. Uh, my last name has uh, helped me, giving me more information that a lot of people don't, don't have. My last name has opened many doors that other last names do not open. Well, it's not that I've taken advantage of this, but evidently, because it's in front of me, well, I use it. How was that first encounter when the elite approached you? How was it and when? Well, it's like if the military comes and recruits you. When you are an adult and they come to recruit you and they come to say, well, you know who you are, who you are. Uh, at the beginning, I didn't know who you are, who I was because neither my dad nor my father, my grandfather nor my father told me who I was. They told me apart. But when they uh, came to pick me up, uh, tell me who who does I, I could believe or not believe. So when I came back to my father, my father said, "Oh my God, they found you." So they, he told me all the truth, which is exactly what they told me. So it's the same. Well, 18 years old, they come for all of you uh, from all this these group uh, this group of uh, these small families. My father and grandfather. They got out of the subject. Even my great-grandfather, who got out of it, he got out of Israel to Switzerland, and they came to Spain. And my father told me he respected my opinion. He he would tell him, he would tell me the pros and the cons. I decided, okay, my father was not uh, in favor of that, but he would not object. So this is when I started having encounters with these people. Uh, above all, in Latin America, not in in Europe, hardly in Europe. I haven't had contact that much with them, but it, with part of this elite in Latin America, and there were counters sporadic. Uh, it was not. Uh, I'm going to be work with them, and I'll say goodbye. The conditions that I would follow with my life, I would follow my studies. That's when I started with the university, and after doing the military service in Spain. 
Uh, they let me finish, just live my life normally, but when they needed me, uh, like part of those families, uh, you know, special families, they would allow me to get into their circle. And doing work, uh, kept learning. I learned to fly any object that's over land and do work, in my case, within the service of intelligence. I was not intelligence in the field, but I learned other people working in the field. My, my work is more dispatching, and that's where I learned many things. I participated in many ceremonies as well. If I told you what I lived, that's what it made me choose one side or the other and understand that that experience had to work, had to, to, to work so that I could live, work for the light and not the darkness. So can we say that you were in the belly of the beast and now you're deconstructing it? Well, yes, I was inside. I was feeding myself until I completely changed 360 degrees, 180 degrees. I didn't have to attack it. I didn't want to mess with them. I'm never going to mess with them. I will never go against them. No. But what I've learned is that I have to have tolerance, respect. Everyone has to choose their side. I'm not going to, I'm not going to attack anyone. I'm not going to give names, but my path will be completely different. I will find and, and try to share a world, a path of light to the people who want to have to find their essence, to want to activate their internal light, but without having to, to, to attack others or mess with others, just following a path to intent. To, my intention is to activate, wake up the quantum leap, the, the awakening of a consciousness. That's my idea. Do you understand? Yes. So I think, let's go back. Before CERN con contracted you, how did you get to CERN? Well, it's not that CERN contracted or hired me. We came out of the, their facility. They did not hire me, contract me. It was a multinational. For, for what company did you work for before? Well, it was a multinational of the elite. Uh, we don't have to, I can't give you names because that's when I would get into problems. I cannot name names. That allows me to continue my life normally. But if I start talking about normal, the, the names and companies, that's when I have problems. That's the pact. That's the agreement that I have with them. I am not going to attack them or mention them they would allow me to lead my life normally. Well, talk about my internal life, the beings of light, without talking about them, they would allow me to do whatever I want, whatever I want to do. That is the pact, the, the agreement I have with them. So working with this multinational from Switzerland, we left from CERN, where there's have a secret base, and that's from them, the the, the, the trip arriving in Antarctica to do a, 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 a normal job, a, a small job to, uh, there were some climate, uh, climate beacons uh, we got from Geneva, Switzerland to Antarctica. That's because that's one of the operating bases that operates for this multinational elite company. It doesn't have to do anything with CERN, or perhaps it does. But that I know, it does not. 
Let me ask you, before we continue, why are there so many countries that have signed an agreement, a UN agreement with the Antarctica? I mean, we went to, uh, to, to, to the moon in 1969. Well, allegedly. Yes, allegedly. When the invention of the car, the airplane, it they get commercialized. Then we go to the moon. It was never commercialized. Then we see Antarctica. Admiral Byrd allegedly indicates that there were resources, infinite resources. The famous hollow earth, right? Yes. So there are dozens of, of countries that have signed an agreement that do not allow any country, anybody to go in. Well, there are many reasons, not for one, two, or three, for many more. Let me just give you a few examples. When they say what's above, so below, that's when we get into one reason. Let me explain. What does it mean, above, as above, so below? The man, human, we have extremities, we with organs, etc. The planet, or planet Earth is exactly the same. It has organs, its respiratory system, uh, lungs, heart. It has the same formology of what we are. Uh, perhaps it's backwards. We are that uh, are the image of the Earth. Well, inside of this formology or physiology of what it is, Earth, it would resemble humans. Antarctica, Antarctica, within the organs of part of the Earth, is Antarctica, because it is the brain of our planet, which is our brain, which is in our head. The terrestrial part is Antarctica. And this you can confirm. Uh, let me give you this example. If you take a picture of the human brain seen as a profile from the side, and we take a picture of the Antarctica and put it side by side, and we take the cerebellum, it's an implant. It's another very interesting topic that there were. It was inserted to us in order to hybridize us. So the Antarctica it has the same form of the human brain. And if you see the part of the Antarctica of the horn, if it would be above the, the ocean, it would connect to the Andes. Uh, it was the the link that goes into the spinal cord, and we unite this part of Antarctica, that horn of Argentina, to, we put it to the Andes. We would see that the Andes plus the Rockies, it's the spinal cord of the planet. This is one of the reasons why the Antarctica is so close and prohibited and forbidden is because a lot of the great information of the Earth is stored in that brain in Antarctica. Uh, you can actually go to Google and type Antarctica and brain, and you will see one of the first images that you will see is this photo photograph. You can see it's the same form. This from one side. Another side, it's the the subject of water inside of of, of the containers of, of water in Antarctica. There is stored one of the most 
pure and in in healthy waters in the world. And this is why the elite are looking for these aquifers instead of looking for that essence of that water. Uh, would you say it's the fount of youth? Well, you could find that's the case, but we can find it something else. But the water that's in Antarctica, the same in North, in the Arctic, these are very important pieces. Just like in other parts of the world, there are great underground rivers that if you knew them, and you, we would have water that would heal, healing waters. They know about it. The rest do not. This is another reason why they don't want countries or people go to Antarctica. More reasons? Well, we're going to open another Pandora's box. It's the extraterrestrial subject. I've always said, and I've always advocated, and I say this actively and passively, we cannot leave the planet and no one can enter the planet. And I'm talking about right now. The planet is closed. It's sealed. We have not been to the moon. It has been a hoax. The planet it has some kind of a shield of a plasma, a cosmic plasma, that if the the if man, if any living being goes through it, you burn. It's like fire has the same molecules. Uh, the, the fire are altered and the plasma is alienated or lined up. But if humans try to go through a, a, a shield of plasma, it would burn. What about machinery? Can it go through? Yes, machinery can go through. They can. If somebody asks me, but it, they, uh, the, the man has sent machinery to the moon? Yes. Occupied by men? No. Machinery? Perhaps. I, I cannot confirm nor deny, but humans cannot go through this shield. This is right now. But thousands of years ago, yes, you could go in and out. But when the planet closed... It's the same planet that it was auto-protecting itself. This is another very important subject. When the planet is self-protecting itself, when it closed that shield, all the beings that were inside, when they wanted to get out, they could not leave or exit the planet. This means that thousands of years ago, we have civilizations, extraterrestrial civilizations living among us. The majority are living inside or underground. This is another very important subject, the intraterrestrials. As you said, Mel, Admiral Byrd in the 1950s, he went his famous trip to Antarctica. It started the famous story of the hollow earth, perhaps he found a passage for internal words, underground worlds that that became sealed under our planet. These beings are principally in the, in the parts of Africa. This is one of the reasons why I was in Africa this week and Antarctica. I'm giving you some reasons of the why those who are in charge of this world do not wish anybody to go to Antarctica. Well, I don't want to go too forward. I want to go back. When you went with CERN the first time into Antarctica, that story, when you found a cube, take me from A to Z. Well, that's a story that I remember when I was given the first interview, uh, approximately a year, two months, when I started, when I started all of this. Uh, they gave me an interview, YouTubers from they, we made a video, three videos, yeah, two, two hours each. And I remember when I finished the, 
the recording says, how, how long? Two hours. Well, I couldn't even explain a quarter of this. So if you say to, for me to explain from A to Z, I would have to try to explain this the best as I can, because we could be talking for one full day. When I do conferences, well, I just want to tell you and the listeners that our purpose is to disseminate this information. See, in the future, we have to conduct more interviews. You know, this is your home. Well, thank you, dear Mel. Thank you. Uh, well, I was saying that when I go around the world to give these talks and these interviews, I always take two days because one full day we explained the trip, and the second day it's nine hours to explain that came out of that. But let's 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 give you a summary. The important part of the journey. We were recruited since from Switzerland to do some work in Antarctica. In my case, uh, it was a group of eight to work with two, helico two military helicopters. There were uh, American helicopters. Uh, the brand was Bell, transformed into bigger because they were military transport. So they formed a group of four and four, four people in each helicopter to 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 bring back some beacons. That's what they said. Uh, they were apparently malfunctioning, uh, these beacons. Uh, no problem. We're going to be there for a couple of months. If things are complicated, we could be up to three months. Or if the weather was great, then one month. And with the helicopters, go get the beacons, beacons, and there are pieces that were to uh, to determine the you know winds, climate, whatever they worked there in Antarctica. So that's what the work that was the job. They put a, a mobile base. We went to two bases, one an Argent Argentinian base and a Chilean base, and the more Oriental base, more Oriental, uh, the continent of South America. Uh, there was uh, three mobile bases with three Hercules aircraft. Uh, they came to South America through Europe. And they just put a base in one day and dismounted it in one day. Incredible. The reality is beyond what you can think of movies. So we did our job. Everything was going well. No strange or supernatural. There were 10 beacons until we finished the first nine. When the last one, the last one, the 10th beacon, uh, the first nine, we got them in one month. We thought, well, let's, let's just go home. Well, they met with us a day before regarding the 10th beacon uh, to let us know that the 10th beacon had something very special. So when you're in this group, just like when you're with the army, they always say, when you have a mission or when you have a job, no no questions, No, don't think, just listen and follow orders. So they start to tell us that, that that last beacon, that last piece, had a few problems. Not the piece, but the place, the location, is the one that was furthest from the base. So the, 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 the equipment cannot get to there. Uh, we have to stop halfway. Uh, there's a base in the uh, halfway to rest. According to them, when you would get to those coordinates, the longitudinal latitudes, it was a place called the dead zone. When they talk about the dead zone, well, it's a dead zone because it's a place, magnetically speaking, 
the the climatological reasons, nothing electrical works. And the last beacon is approximately a few kilometers within that dead zone. So we didn't have any other option to ask. So we had to ask, well, if if there's going to place that nothing works, what's going to happen with all the equipment, with the electrical equipment? And they said, well, don't worry, because within those equipment, there were two, two special motorcycles that will function. Don't ask, but they will function. But if you have any problems with the the equipment, these snowmobiles will work. Well, we, we shut up and... We remain quiet and we distribute ourselves four and four. Let's we started the trip, the journey. We stopped halfway. We rested, and my job specifically was to control. I was not piloting at that time. My I was con uh, controlling two of the equipment, the coordinates, the arrival to the line of the dead zone. Just controlling to arrive there at what time? At once past that zone, let's see how long we would have problems. So, everything was going great, we rested, we continued, and we were, when we were about 10 kilometers, I'm calculating, before getting to the dead zone, in the sky we see a stain. You know, when you're in the desert, and you see a lot of uh, reverberations, well, like a mirage? Yes, like a mirage. So, in the ice, people don't know this, but with the ice, the same thing happens. In the sand, the same thing happens to the ice. You can see a lot of see illusions or mirage. When we see the stain, immediately in the radar, Nothing shows up in the radar. It was very close to what was the horizon. That part of the Antarctica is a, it's a plateau. Very flat. Just uh, ice. It's, there are no mountains. So we could see the horizon looking south. Uh, small. That stain looks to him, but small, but it looked like it was floating. It did not mark anything. It, it was not painting anything on the radar. As we approach, the, the stain would get bigger and bigger, enormous. So then we realized that it was not floating in the air. It was right on the bottom. It was on the ground. So the mirage looked as if it was floating, but it was not floating. It was standing on the ground. But at the distance, you could see the stain. It was just gigantic. You would be approaching until we get to the dead zone. We keep going and nothing stops. The equipment, the electronics continued. So we kept going. We were flying very low. So in case there was a problem with the uh, everything stopped, we could actually land. The stain was so big, Mel that it was bigger than a mountain. The form was looked regular of the, you know, the subject of climatology or, or weather. When I calculated the coordinates to see where the beacon was, the location for the beacon, it was behind the stain, or what we call the stain. Someone inside the helicopter started saying, have they put us in a government project, a military project? 
what about Blue Beam, the holograms? And we were talking, oh, this is possible because it's saying on the radar that it's not existing. It's, it's not here, but it's too big. And we all saw it. So we spoke with the other helicopter, and they agreed the same. We did not abort. We kept going. Everything was kept, kept functioning, even though we were on, uh, inside the dead zone. So now we don't see the stain. We perfectly see a square, a square placed on the ground. We keep going. A hundred meters, we decided to go down, stopped 100 meters. We got four on each helicopter, we got out. It's more than seeing a Hollywood movie. I thought I was making a, a calcu you know, calcu calculated of the, the, the width. It was about three kilometers and the height, three kilometers. So we're talking about a square, three kilometers in altitude and width, and that cannot exist in nature. The captain of the expedition had to make a decision, had to make a decision. Many people ask me, in that moment that you were terrorized, I said, I'm sorry. In that moment, we were just with, our mouths were, our jaws were dropping. We were thinking, let's just be calm. Maybe they put us in a special program. Let's keep going. They haven't sent us here for no reason. Let's, we continue with the mission. Where's the beacon? The beacon is behind. Well, let's, let's go see. See how we go to the other side of the square and, and go from behind. That's what the captain says. One of the helicopters has to stay and one of them so we can go one of the corners. So we choose to go to the right corner. So we had to make a decision to which chopper goes and which one stays. And I know this sounds weird, but uh, we almost have to, you know, how, how did you do this? Well, we flipped, almost flipped the coin in order to find out which of the choppers would stay. So we got it. We, we, we were the ones that were chosen to take the uh, chopper to the other side. The other chopper stayed. Uh, we elevate. We go to the other corner. Once we get to that corner, and then there are, there's another wall, three kilometers of three kilometers height. So there's an L. L. That's when the captain said, where are the coordinates marking where the, the, the beacon is? And he said, well, it's inside of that L. So he goes to the other edge to see if there's an entrance behind that L. Nobody even thought about this to verify if this L is real or is, an hol is a hologram. Nobody thought about this. Nobody made that decision if it was real or not. So we continued. We go to the other edge. About 80 meters before arriving, everything stops. We were in the dead zone. Everything stops. Approximately 80 meters before getting there. The helicopter stops and we started descending. We were falling very low. So for those that think that the helicopter is crashing, the blades continue to turn. Yes, the blades, the blades, they start losing speed, 
We were flying very low. It allowed us, without any problems, to land. The only problem that we could have had was the famous wind at this Antarctica, but there, are, there was no wind that day, which was very easy to land. So we were about 80 meters. We got out, everything stopped. We got out of the helicopter. Well, we had those special, quote-unquote special, snowmobiles. We were about 80 meters from the other corner. So let's get the, the snowmobiles and let's go there. We'll find out how to return. We got the snowmobiles, we two and two in each, and the snowmobiles did not work at all. We got out. The two people that were behind us were two technicians. So we asked the technicians to check the engines to see what was going on. That's the first part that's very interesting of this journey. When they opened the engine, they found out that, that it's, a, it's a, a color, a, a, an engine color blue full of water tubes. And they realized it was technology non-terrestrial. That's why they said, you know, with snowmobiles, they said, get those snowmobiles, dead zones. They were supposed to work, but they did not. So we found out there was a technology right there that at least we don't know. I'm not going to say it's, it's, a, it's extraterrestrial. It might be, but it's, it's unknown to us. So what do we do? We don't have a helicopter. We don't have snowmobiles. We have snow rackets and skis. So we got the racket and we decided to... Since it's only 80 meters, we decided to go to the, uh, all the way to the other corner. Once we got to the other corner, we found another wall, three-kilometer wall. That's when we found that stain, that it was a cube. For the first time, we realized it was a cube. Like if it was a wall of ice? No, it was not ice. It was from the 100 meters where we were, you could see a structure, a silver color, like aluminum, silver. It was not too shiny. It was not too dark. It was bright, but it was not ice. We couldn't see ice. It was not normal. We could think it was a, an ice curtain, but that's not the way we, we saw it 100 meters away. It looked metallic to us, but also it looked strange. So at that moment, it's when we thought this is too much. We just forgot about the beacon, we forgot about the, the job, and everyone panicked. And that's when one of the two technicians completely panicked. He fell on the floor and he started vomiting white foam. He became a cataleptic completely, cataleptic state. It was a, a very complicated moment. When I shared the story, I, I'd share it very quickly because it was uh, hairy. The technician uh, collapsed. We have to tie him up to the sled. He was having convulsions. From that moment, we saw a small cloud approaching. It was a cloudless sky, very sunny. And we saw this cloud approaching us really quickly. And we said, oh my God, what's happening now? So when he went above the helicopter, he left the helicopter completely yellow. When we were running back to the helicopter, we found out that that cloud 
had, was pollen, and there were clovers, uh, green clovers, not that many. Uh, it was clovers on pollen. That's when I tell the captain, Captain, the story of Emerald, Emerald Bird, could it be that we're close to the hollow earth? And that's when everybody started getting mad at me, saying, come on, let's not start with stupid stuff. Because evidently, not everyone, you can't talk about, you can't talk about this stuff with everybody, but this is not normal. That's when things start happening, until a moment, so that I don't have to expand too much. Let me go to the important parts. But there was a moment that in, in the middle of the discussion, we noticed a small light appear in one of the corners of the cube. And we thought, wow, what's going on? A light that keeps getting bigger. And three silhouettes came out of that light. And all of a sudden, those three silhouettes started advancing toward us. From far, they looked as if they levitated. They were levitating towards us. Until about 50 meters before approaching us, they stopped. They were not levitating. They looked like three beings they were walking. About 50 meters, they were. They stopped. But I saw three beings, the humanoid form, but not human beings. At 50 meters, we could discern clearly they had the humanoid form because it's pure energy. It makes that energy movement, the morphology, the humanoid form. And we, we noticed they had this... Uh, tunics. They were wearing tunics. But the tunic was open. We found that the their body had this energetic uh, of colors, like uh, red, orange, purple, and yellow. It looked like sparks. And the, the tunic that uh, would uh, cover them a little bit. That's when the first moment when I fear for my life, I said, that's it. We're not, we're not leaving alive from here. And that's when we had the first contact. It was a telepathic contact. No sound, no conversation. It was a telepathic contact. They told us it was very complicated to, to, to interpret, interpret the, 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 the communication, but the message came the same to all of us. The technician was tied up to the uh, sled. He didn't receive anything, but the other three, three of us, we received a message where they're mad, basically telling us, get out of here. We've told your superiors, do not send anybody from your group. This is a prohibited, forbidden zone for humans. Get out of here. Go back to the helicopter. We're going to make that when you go back to the helicopter, it will function so that you can go back and don't come back until we say so. Our job here has not been done yet. It's not finished yet. We don't want anybody to return until we have finished our job and we have left. The three beings just said that. They turned around and they went back to the interior of the cube. The light uh, closed, and the cube went back to normal. I remember that at that moment, nobody moved from the three of us. I think it took us minutes to react. We couldn't even talk amongst ourselves. I think that this reaction is normal, because we were just a... It was a state of shock each one their own way. But it was a moment in which the captain quickly go back to the helicopter without saying anything. When we started running to the helicopter, 
there was a moment when I said, Captain, Captain, I'm not sure what you think, but somebody has to approach the cube and touch it. Somebody has to find out if this is real or not. We can't go back to base and explain a story, a fairy tale story, and then for everybody to say, was it true or not? So I thought this to the to the captain, I would think the captain would be the one who would have to verify if this is true or not. And I remember the captain just looked at me. I was behind him about 10, 10 or 15 seconds without saying anything, without only looking at me until the moment he said, would you want to know if it's real? And I said, well, we need to find out. He said, I'm going to give you five minutes, five minutes so you can get there, touch it, find out if it's real and come back running. So he sent me, if I wanted to, if I didn't want to, okay. So he left, and then the one behind me keeps, was, you know, pulling the sled. Uh, since I'm here, whatever God wants, if, I'm go, if I go there and I touch the cube and I disintegrate myself and disappear, well, there must be a reason. And if I trespass the cube, well, this is this is a demonstration that we're in a government a job. So I go the direction of the cube. So my mother, so my mother, my mother, I keep looking at the cube and looking to see my, my the others to get back to the helicopter. So they got to the helicopter and I got back to the cube. The cube. So I start looking at Imagine what it is, the sensation of being in front of a cube three kilometers in height and three kilometers wide. And I raise my head and I look up. I can't see the sky. I could not see the sky. Can you imagine, Mel? Just raise your head and see a wall three kilometers in height. I couldn't see the uh, the sky when I would look at the side. When what is it, in a corner? Yes, but when it was on the other side, you could you could not see the end of it. When I try to explain it, people don't have a grasp of how incredible this was. This moment. So, folks, the reality, reality surpasses fiction. You cannot imagine the sensation. I did not know what my emotions were. My emotions were. A multitude of emotions. There were moments that I wanted to cry. There were moments that I wanted to to laugh. I didn't feel cold. I didn't feel the cold. I will never be able to repeat that. So at that moment, I heard the captain yell, run, run. They were getting the technician from the sled into the helicopter. We have to get back to the helicopter. So that's when I said, okay, let's go. I remember when you work in Antarctica, you have two types of gloves. You have a very thin glove that you put into your fingers, and then you have some mittens uh, that are thick that cover your cover you from the cold. So I take out the mittens and I stay with the thin gloves. I put both hands in front of me, close my eyes, and I place my hands until I touch the cube. I close my eyes, and when I'm going to talk, touch the cube, I sensed that it was solid, it was real, it was not a hologram. What we were living is real, we're not living a dream. It's not something that they're placing in our minds. I try to push, and I felt that 
it's it's not a a wall solid it's much like a like a uh, almost like a foam Look, it's like jello, like gel. You know, when there's a lot of jello, you put your finger in jello or gel, and the the finger gets thin. But when there's a lot of density, it doesn't let you go through. But you understand the, the movement. That's my sensation, feeling the cube of, of gelatin. Uh, you know, there was a point where I couldn't push my hands even further. So, for everybody to know, a football field is 360 feet in length. We're talking about 32 football fields in height and in width. So, yes, Mel, this is crazy. I just want to explain to people, they don't understand the magnitude that it is to find something like that. In, being in front of 32 football fields, but not only of, 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 of width, but height. The length and the height. So I take my hands out, and that's when I feel that the helicopter blades start rotating, and I see the captain just signing for me to get back to the helicopter. In that instant, I receive a second message. But there, I received it myself, because I'm the only one touching the cube. I receive an individual message, a message for me. That's when later it's allowing me that I can do this work that I do now because then I've understood of the why of this journey. When I received this second message, I received some code, some messages, some numbers. I start writing them in a in a notepad. I'm writing them in a in a short piece of paper because I realize when we get back to base, they're going to take it away from me. And if I don't have it, we're not going to be able to interpret this. And it was a notepad from one of my daughters that I always keep with me. I wrote it on a piece of paper so that if I saw they take it away from me, I put the... the uh, I put the, a piece of plastic under my tongue in case they take it away. So I write down everything that they give me. I don't understand anything. I get back to the helicopter. You think they asked me about what they, what I, what happened? Nobody asked me. They just want, we just wanted to get back in the helicopter. We got back to the, uh, we went around one of the, the other corner. And that's when we went to the other helicopter. Is that when you touched when you touched the cube? Was it cold or hot? That's a great question. Nobody has asked me this question. It was neither cold nor hot. I could not explain it. There was no temperature. And then later I found out that that cube was a it was an object of fifth dimension, not third dimension. So this goes beyond our comprehension. So it was fifth. If, so if it was fifth dimension, how could you sense it? How did you could you touch it? I'll answer that question later. When we got to the first helicopter, I we noticed that the four participants or occupants of the first helicopter, they had the same had the same experience. They had seen the light, three beings. And they had received the same message that we got. The only difference that no one from that first group went to touch the cube. Therefore, I was the only one who received that message in addition to the others. When I received the second message, I intu uh, my intuition said that somebody else received the same message, but not sure because nobody told me. But I got the same message. We went to the helicopter. We went to the 
half bays, rested. We went to the base and they were waiting for us. And they treated us almost like terrorists. They took us from the, the helicopters running. They took the eight of us. We went through the radiation showers. They took all our clothing. They separated us. Never again were we placed together again. In 48 hours, they sent me to an island in the Indian Ocean. There is an American base there. They interrogated me again. They sent me to Switzerland. I returned to Switzerland. They inter interrogated me again at the same place where they we left off uh, from CERN. I think they did the same thing with the others. They separated us from the moment that we got to the base until I returned. Then I had a conversation with the elite to let him know. And this, I, I haven't told you this, but when they came to get me when I was 18 years old, uh, my job with them was supposed to be until I'm 50. And after 50, I was not obligated to work for them. In March of 2016, when this occurred, it was one month that I turned 50. So when I got to CERN, one of the people that interrogated me was one of my old colleagues. So I said, don't forget about the contract. I've done my job. Don't worry. I'm not going to talk about anything. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to say anything. Other things that I saw in Antarctica, I'm not going to say anything. And then I asked, but can I talk about the cube? I feel that that there's nothing to do with, with anything. Well, you have a contract, a confidentiality contract. You cannot talk about this, 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 that. But the cube, you can talk about the cube. You know why you can talk about the cube? And I say, why? Because no one on the planet will believe you because you cannot show any proof. Why? Because many people, well, where are you taking, documenting it with film and photographs? Oh, I took video and photograph of everything, of everything I've been talking about. You think that once we get to the base, they didn't take that away from us? Of course, they took away, they took everything away from us, everything. Not only the clothing, everything that we had on us. But when they were sent, were sent you there, allegedly for a beacon, was that a pretext so that you could see what was inside the cube? Or what was the main reason? My last name, my dear. Let's go back to my last name. My last name gives you a few gifts, which is what I told you since I was a child. So what is my gift? What is my gift that my genetics, my DNA, gave me by having this DNA? I'm an activator. I activate people, families, businesses, homes, places around the world, minerals. I'm an activator. I'm a universal activator. So they know of my gift. They know what my last name can provide. So I found out later what they really wanted by sending me this, sent me there. They sent me there to see if I could, see if I could get into the cube. That's what they wanted. Something else that I haven't told you. When we received the message of leaving from here, they said we were the sixth group to have been there. There were six, five other expeditions we were the sixth expedition. I'm not sure. I don't know the people that went in the other journeys and the, the five previous uh, expeditions. But in the last one, they sent me to see if I could have the capacity 
of a, as an activator to see if I could they interrogated me and I let them know what we lived and nothing else okay so this is your last job don't worry I'm, we're not going to bother you anymore quote unquote you are retired from all these jobs and if you want to talk about the cube just don't talk about the technology but you can talk about the cube and that was the, that's what's it what they didn't know is that I did get inside the cube even if it was a few seconds. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, this is when my authentic stories begins. This is what I'm doing now. Ever since that expedition, those letters and symbols that they gave me the second message, a good friend of mine, a cryptographer from Geneva, Switzerland, after two months, he deciphered, and it was coordinates and a date. They sent me to Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, they sent me coordinates at a determined date, like Carlos, not like a person who works with them, like an individual. At that moment, I have to make the decision. Do I have to, do I go or do I not? So, okay, I'll go. So, when you got in the cube, was it later? No, 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 it was at that time. It's just, I haven't shared that. So, I get to Costa Rica, I go to those coordinates, it's a cave, and one of my gifts as an activator is that I can see the dimensional portals, I can detect them, I can see the elliptic form. I don't have the capacity to get in inside, but I have the capacity of getting in energetically. So when I see a portal physically, I sit next to the portal, I concentrate, and it's almost like an astral journey. So I get in, I, 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 my energy gets into the portal, and then I have a contact with one of the beings from the cube. He gives me a coordin some coordinates, such and such date. We just wanted to see if you could do a quantum leap to see if it was an imp important. We wanted to see if you were really able to get to here. Since we were able to get to here, we gave you a second, a secondary encounter. So it gave me more coordinates. Then I go to Central Africa. I accept to do the second trip. I go to a, a desert, another cave, just like the Costa Rican one. I see another portal. I go inside energetically. And that's where my history begins. And the second portal in Africa, I, I see energetically another cube of a, a one meter and a half width and height cube. And this is when the story begins, which is until now, it's taking me around the world to do talks and conferences as to why the human being can activate to the to do the quantum leap. How the DNA, energetically DNA, so we can increase the vibration so that anybody wants, whoever wants, not everyone is prepared, but whoever wants activate themselves. So you can do a quantum leap and not continue in third dimension and, and obviate the fourth and perhaps go to the fifth dimension and do energetic work. How can a person work and prepare to a level of vibration superior so you could continue revolution. So they start sending me messages that I'm sharing around the world for free, telling everyone during my talks, the first message, the second message, 
this is a tool to activate this, and then some therapies that we're working with cetaceans. Now I'm in contact vibrationally with, with dolphins and whales, that they are connected with their 13th filament of DNA. So the fifth dimension gives them some of their tools so that the human being can connect to it, to your superior being. So after a few encounters in different caves is when he tells me who he really is. And that's the other important part of the of all this story. When I think it's a, a being from another galaxy or civilization or whatever, it comes to a point where he says, I am you and you are me. I'm your you in superior being in the fifth dimension. You are me, you are you. The cube is you, the cube is me. And we are all the cube. And we all have the possibility of connecting to our superior beings, our quantum beings. You're one of the elected ones, one of thousands. We are connecting with thousands of, of beings around the planet so they can start activating, so that they can activate other people, activate the critical mass of people with a, a, a number of, uh, not a large number, all connected. They can reconnect that famous shield that connects the entire planet so that a group of, of, of a small group called critical mass could drag the rest of the people around the planet so we can do a quantum leap. Why? Because what they say is that the planet is not in third dimension anymore. The planet has done its first leap into the first part of the fourth dimension. But the human being keeps stays in fourth dimension, but physically we stay in third dimension. And so mm, thousands of people are given the opportunity to connect with their, their quantum themselves so they can connect with other people that want. That is the finality, the end result. This is why I left all my businesses, my job, left all my sources of income so that I can dedicate myself to this because all the another part of the parts of the second message is look for your purpose. I use a, a technique, a Japanese technique called Ikigai. When I look for Ikigai, the purpose of life, I find out that the purpose of my life is to do this job. I made the determination to leave everything behind. It almost cost my marriage. I leave everything and I dedicate myself exclusively to this. My first travels around the world have served so that I can activate, I can explain to people things that they do not understand. I have financed everything until it came to a point that my economy has ended. I cannot travel anymore. From this moment forward, if anybody that wants me to continue this job, well, they have to help me finance this so that I can continue moving and, and, and look to share this with everybody else until the ideal is that somebody can be interested and put together a foundation so that they can be in charge, so that the message get to everyone around the world and for free. That is my work. That is my current work, my essence, my way of life, my purpose, so that I can get to everybody else information so that when those that it resonates with, it's free so they can to increase our vibration of our DNA physically and energetically so we can do a quantum leap 
a change in consciousness to a level superior in consciousness and attitude to the one that we have now. I understand what you're saying, Carlos, because we do this, we think it, everything's done for free. It costs a lot of money to travel. And yes, Melan, you can imagine the people that uh, people that are against you, oh, people who say, why are you going to take advantage of people? You're a fraud, you're... They're charlatan. People don't, can't imagine. Listen, I understand that if there are a lot of people who take advantage, let's not deny that. There are people who take advantage of others. But in our case, that I have to finance everything. People don't have all the problems that I have to go through. For me, the easiest thing is like, okay, folks, I've done my job the best I can, but I get back to my business because I have to buy internet, uh, water, electricity, family. But I have to continue with my work. I have to continue taking light to people. I have to continue. Uh, you know, understand that what is peace, love, harmony, the serenity. I have to try that. And if one day I cannot eat, I won't eat. But I understand that it's work for, for, for light, for the benefit of the people. The abundance will come. So that's why I'm not worried. I understand. You know, perhaps I'm stressed because it comes came to a point that I have nothing else. You know, nothing financially for, that I can move, but that doesn't worry me. Yes, and we we'll live in a paradigm. People have to understand we have to live in a paradigm where it costs to have a roof over your head, it costs to, to eat, it costs everything. We have families, wives, children. But yes, but people don't understand that. And yes, but I want to tell you, I'm very fortunate, Carlos, that I have real listeners around the world that usually... When they listen to something like this, they come to me and they ask me, what can we do? So if you are listening, folks, you have the contact for Carlos. And segment two, I want to ask you a few questions. What did you see? If you can confirm and confess what you saw inside the cube. And I, you know, also about the cetaceans. Uh, yesterday, 145 pilot whales were beached and died on the coast of New Zealand. What do you know about this? Also, regarding CERN. Many people think, what is CERN? When I think of CERN, I think of, of billions of euros invested into a, a, you know something to, to collide proton, protons. Uh, Higgs boson at a cost of $13.25 billion. This is not science fiction. What is really CERN? We also want to talk about your contacts, the messages that you have received. Before we take a break, how can people get in touch with you, your internet page, Facebook, etc.? Well, I'm going to respond. No worries. No problems. That's part of my job. That's why I'm going around the world to, to answer everything I can. So, to contact me is very easy. Social media, where I'm using... Um, Social media, I'm using my name, Carlos, Carlos Torá, or Navegante Celeste. A lot of people will call me Navegante Celeste, which is Celestial Navigator. It's for the reunification of the 13 wise tribes so we reunify all the wisdom that has been dispersed around the world. One of my encounters with the Mapuches in Chile, of the Andes, when they saw me arrive, they said, it's been years that we've been waiting for you. Amtu, we've been waiting for Amtu. Who's Amtu, I said. Oh, you. So I am Amtu in the Mapuche language. It 
it's it's Celestial Navigator or Navigante Celeste. So a lot of people that were with me started calling me that. So that's I liked it, the, the, this, the, the name, the nickname. So uh, Instagram, Navigante Celeste. Facebook, uh, both Carles Dora or Navigante Celeste. My, my email is navigante.celeste at gmail.com. I used to have my website, which is carlesdora.com. I have uh, stopped because I want to reopen and re rebuild it until better financing comes my way at navigantecelestia.com so that everybody can communicate via the website. That's the form, the best way. I've formed some groups, uh, WhatsApp, around the world in different countries. People are writing to me and Facebook. So everybody's around in, in different countries, telegrams also. So I think uh, if there's something that is very complicated in as a public person, I try to do everything is everything I do is to, to answer. I'm very open to be there because my, my goal is to activate, to wake people up. And, and the best thing to do is to have all these, form all these groups around the world. This is the best way to be contacted. Just like you said at the beginning, when you sent to me a, a message at the beginning, you answered it immediately. Remember? Yes, I, uh, of course I remember. And this is for, for the people of, uh, who speak English can, can be open to this material. I didn't see a single video in English. Yes, that's very interesting because I've been moving for about a year. I started with the videos that I've told you about. It was the 30th of September last year, 2017. Uh, one month and a year. In one month and a year, I kept having contact with the superior me, or spirit being. He just keeps contacting me because he keeps sending me messages. There will be 13 messages. Uh, we've received nine. And regarding making those connections, he said, don't worry, because very soon you have to do the jump to Brazil. Somebody's going to contact with you in Brazil to start translating in Portuguese. And somebody's going to contact you in the United States to start in the English market. And a little later, my dear friend Mel contacts me. Well, incredible. No, no coincidences, synchronicities. Well, much more in segment two. So friends around the world, please don't go away. My guest today is Carlos Torra. Thanks for being with us on Veritas. We'll be back after a short break. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you. <laughs>